Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center here in Austell, Georgia. Pay attention to this message. I believe God is gonna say something to you that is gonna bless your life, change your life, and empower you and equip you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Listen up, and we'll talk to you at the end of today's broadcast. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. It's been one of our text scriptures for the series. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed or ransomed or rescued or bought back with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers, but you are redeemed, you are rescued, you are ransomed with something more precious, more expensive, more valuable than silver and gold, the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. In Revelation, Jesus called the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God foreordained or picked and planned before the world began that Jesus would pay the price to rescue us from our sins and the powers of darkness. And so knowing this, as we look through the Bible, we understand there is a scarlet thread that goes from the very beginning, even before the arrival of Jesus, to his arrival, to his crucifixion, to his resurrection, all because God planned to rescue you before you ever messed up. So the thing is, you have to understand that theologically that's wonderful news, but also in your everyday life, it doesn't matter how bad you mess something up. It doesn't matter how bad you screw up. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. God already had an answer for you before your problem ever showed up. Before you ever had a setback, God had already planned a comeback. So instead of trying to find out everything by yourself, go to the one who loved you so much, he already planned your breakthrough before he even made you. And so we looked at the scarlet thread, and we, God revealed different parts of his plan in covenants and dispensations. And Genesis 3.15 is the first mention of the Messiah, the first mention of the scarlet thread. Is the first showing that Jesus will come. We know the book of Genesis tells the story of the very beginning. And you look at Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, and you see the story of Adam and Eve. We understand that they sinned, and when they sinned, they handed over their authority to Satan. The glory of God that was on them and that protected them lifted, and they took on the nature of Satan instead of having the nature of God. And so when God is speaking to them in verse 15, he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and the serpent's seed. It shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. So he's already speaking about something supernatural that's going to happen because women do not carry seed. But he says it's going to come from the descendant of the woman. There's going to be a person who will crush the serpent's head. And so we've been calling this individual the Genesis 3.15 crusher. God said he's going to come and crush the serpent's head, and the only thing the serpent can do is crush his heel. And so we see the first shedding of blood in history in Genesis 3.21. And unto Adam also unto his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins, and he clothed them. Now we say, well, why is that important? If he took an animal and made coats of skin, that means an animal died, blood was shed. Now, why is that important? Sometimes we just read through that scripture, okay, God made them some clothes. It's better than the figly suits they made for themselves. But God made them clothes for this one specific reason. The blood was shed as a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. Because when man sinned, when mankind sinned, the glory lifted off of them, and they took the nature of Satan. Understand this. If we were outside and our kids were running around, 
and they fell down, especially the younger, you're, the inside of your heart, what you just want to do is you want to pick them up and pull them close, right? When Adam and Eve fell into sin, God couldn't do that because of his glory. The glory of God, as it is his creative good, is destructive of evil. If God reached down to embrace his creation, it would absolutely destroy them. But in order for God to have a relationship with them, they had to have some type of covering. And so the covering he did through the animal skins or through the shedding of blood was so that whatever sin they had was covered so God could have a relationship with them. One of the things we covered in the series is God is a God who makes covenants, blood-sealed covenants for the purpose of establishing a right relationship with us, his children. And so we looked as hundreds of years go by, one of the descendants of Adam, one of the descendants of Noah, one of the descendants of Shem is a man named Abraham. And God appears to him and says, hey, you follow me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And in you shall everybody on the planet be blessed. And so one of the things we understood when we looked at how God made Adam, the first words mankind ever heard was be blessed. So the perfect will of God for all men for all time is not the curse, but is the blessing. And so God reiterates it when he says to Noah and his three sons, be blessed. And now he's saying to Abraham, be blessed. And through you, I want to bless the entire planet. And so when you get to Genesis 15, God is cutting a covenant with Abraham. God has already blessed him, but Abraham says, hey, I don't have a son. I don't have any descendants. Who is going to be my heir? God said, I'm going to bring an heir from you and from Sarah. And here's how you know it. I'm going to cut a covenant with you. Whenever a covenant is cut, animals are killed, blood is shed. And in this specific covenant, you see in Genesis 15, well, God comes down in his glorious form, and he walks through the parted animals or through the blood, just like Abraham did, saying that he is now in covenant with Abraham. Now, the covenant that Abraham cut, this agreement, this solemn agreement, it means that whatever one party is willing to do, the other party has to be willing to do. So that means if one party is willing to give up all their money so the other party can be fed, the other party has to be willing to do the same thing. And so when you have that understanding, you get to Genesis 22 when God tells Abraham, says, I want you to take your son, your only begotten son, and I want you to offer him on a sacrifice on the mount that I will tell you of. Now, this son was the son of promise. This is the son God said, and through him all nations will be blessed. And so Abraham obeys God. He takes Isaac. And he takes his crew, and they're going to go for a sacrifice. You might un have to understand, well, maybe Abraham just thought God had changed his mind. Because, no, God told his crew, says, hey, you guys wait here. Me and the lad will come back again. And then when they're going up to the mountain, Abraham's son Isaac, they have been to many sacrifices before. So Isaac understands what's going on. He says, hey, Dad, I see the knife. I see the rope. I see the torch. But uh, where is the sacrifice? Good question. And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. And then when you get even more into Abraham's thinking and the mentality, you get to Hebrews chapter 11, that he said he was going to do it by faith because he believed that God was able to raise the dead. No one in the history had seen someone raised from the dead before, but he believed because he knew God well enough that if I have to sac sacrifice Isaac, Isaac's going to get back up again. And so when Isaac is bound to the table, now, Isaac wasn't like a five-year-old. He was between the ages of 13 and 40, so he could have fought off his old man who was over 100 by now. But Isaac was willing to be sacrificed. 
and Abraham was willing to offer his only begotten son, which meant in covenant God is now able to offer his only begotten son, and Jesus can offer himself because God found a man in the earth who was willing to give up his son for him. So now God can legally send his son into the earth to give him up for all men. Because remember, Abraham said God will provide himself a lamb. But on that mount, there was a ram in the bush. You might say, well, maybe Abraham missed it. No, John the Baptist said in John 1:29, when he saw Jesus coming, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So Abraham's Willingness and his obedience and his faith opened the door for Jesus to come into the earth as the Lamb of God. Remember, God said, your only son that you love. All that is is covenant talk so that God can do what he always wanted to do, as we already read in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because Abraham was willing to give his son a promise, God said, I can give my son a promise. All this scarlet thread was going through history is to get Jesus to you. We looked at the book of Exodus, how when the Jews were in bondage in Egypt, on the last judgment was coming, Moses told them to take the lamb, take its blood, put it on your doorpost, put it on the sides of your doors. So when this last judgment comes, it will pass over you. That's where Passover comes from. Meaning the blood of the lamb will keep them safe from destruction and will keep them safe from the hand of the enemy. Same thing would happen over 40 years later with Rahab. She tied a scarlet thread on her window. And when the walls of Jericho fell down, her house stayed safe. When destruction came to everyone else, her house stayed safe. Why? The scarlet thread or its foreshadowing of what the blood of Jesus would do for us. Everything you see in the Old Testament are types and shadows leading to what God was going to do in his new covenant or the New Testament. Hebrews 9.22, Amplified Class Edition says it this way. In fact, under the law, almost everything is purified by means of blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of the due and merited punishment of sins. Remission simply means the cancellation of a debt, charge, or penalty. So without the shedding of blood, we would still be in our sins. So Jesus, as the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, came to pour out his blood so that we can have the remission of sins or the cancellation of sins. If a debt is canceled, you do not have to make any more payments. God sent Jesus to cancel your sins so you don't have to pay for your mistakes. Go to Isaiah chapter 53 with me. This is what Good Friday is all about. Isaiah 53 verse 4. This is Isaiah prophesying about what Jesus would do in the earth. Surely he has borne our griefs. The word griefs means sicknesses. And carried our sorrows. That means pain. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. You know, I looked up the word bruised. It doesn't mean like someone hits you and you got a bruise on. The word bruised means crushed. He was crushed for our iniquities, or he was crushed for our perversity, our depravity. He was crushed for the guilt and punishment of our iniquity. He was wounded for our rebellion against God. The chastisement or the punishment of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now, when you look at stripes, sometimes you can see some videos of just, you know, someone being whipped with a whip and the stripes that are on their back, and that's bad enough. Especially being beaten 39 times, that's bad enough. Well, how they beat Jesus was not as humane as the videos you see. How they beat him was with a cat of nine tails, which is a whip that has nine different lashes. And on every single lash, there's either glass, rock, or jagged metal. So when those Roman soldiers took that cat of nine tails and released it into Jesus' back, imagine everything that dug into his flesh. And then they yanked it out. Blood spattered everywhere. That's one. They did it 39 different times because 40 was a death sentence. So they literally beat him into an inch of his life. Why were those stripes applied? So we could be healed. If Jesus paid all of that so you don't have to be sick, why do you put up with sickness? If Jesus did all that so you can be healed, why do you believe it's God's will for you to be sick? God wouldn't put sickness on you to teach you something if you put this on Jesus so you could be healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So every time we say, I'm going to do it my own way, I'm going to go my own path, I don't care what God has to say about it, I'm going to do what I want to do, all of that had a punishment. And God took that punishment and put it on Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise or to crush him. It pleased him to put him to grief. That word put to grief, that phrase, means to make weak, to make sick, and to wound. It pleased God to do this. Why? He shall see when you shall make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, or many will be declared not guilty. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, why divide him a portion with the great? He should divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. It pleased God to crush 
Jesus. It pleased God to make Jesus weak, to wound him, and put your sickness on him. Why did it please God to do that to his only begotten son? So that it wouldn't have to happen to you. Jesus was crushed so you wouldn't have to be crushed. Jesus was wounded and stripes were applied to him so that you can be healed. Jesus paid the ultimate price so you would not have to pay it. That's why it pleased God. Because he sent Jesus as your atonement or the propitiation of your sins. Simply meaning he sent him to take your place and to pay the price for you. As you already read in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 through 25, Paul said, For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my body, which is crushed for you. And after the same manner, he took the cup when he had a sup, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do you as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. That word testament means covenant. So just like Abraham and God had a covenant, Jesus said, I'm creating a new covenant. So let's go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Verse 25. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my body which is crushed for you. This is my blood which is shed or poured out for you. John chapter 19. Verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister. So we just talked about all the things Jesus would go through, and his mama was standing right there. Can you imagine what's going on in Mary as she's watching her first, her oldest son, her son of promise, being beaten like that, being crucified? When Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciple standing by whom he loved. Think about this. Jesus, the oldest, he has the responsibility of taking care of his mother. But now he's hanging on the cross, and before he dies, he's making sure that his mother is taken care of. He looks to John and says, and to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to John, behold your mother. And from that day, John took her into his home. So that day, John made sure she was taken care of. Even decades later, Wherever John was, Mary was. John fulfilled that promise of Jesus. I'm going to make sure that your mother is taken care of all the days of her life. After this, Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon the hyssop and put it into his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head. And gave up the ghost. He completed everything he needed to do on earth for your redemption was now done. That means you don't have to do an extra work for your redemption. You don't have to work to get into heaven. You don't have to work to make God like you. You don't have to work to get your sins off of you. Jesus says it is finished. So one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side because they were going to break his legs 
Because the real reason why you died on the cross was because of suffocation. And so they would break their legs so that they couldn't lift themselves up anymore, so they would basically die of suffocation. But Jesus was already dead. They were marveled. They were wondering, like, how did he die so quickly? And so the soldier, to make sure he was dead, took a spear and pierced his side. And forthwith came out blood and water. And John says, he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. So John said, I was there. I saw this. And he says, I know that what I'm saying is true, that you might believe. For these things were done that the Scripture may be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. So his bones were not broken, but he was still crushed for us. And again, another Scripture said, they shall look on him whom they pierced. He was crushed for us, but his bones were not broken. He was disfigured for us. His bones fell out of place because when he, they nail him to the cross and they lift him high and they put him into the earth, that would dislocate people's bones. He was whipped for us. He was shamed for us because one of the most shameful deaths of that time was the crucifixion. He poured out his blood for us. And while all this happened, his mother was watching. As she watched it, it's like what Simeon told her in Luke chapter 2. A sword was piercing through her own soul. The disciples don't know what to do. They've scattered. They're afraid. All of the followers of Jesus have lost their hope because they watched their Messiah die. You see, the thing is, this is as how much blood approximately is in the human body. This represents all that poured from Jesus when they beat him, when they whipped him, when they pushed the crown of thorns into his head, when he was on that cross bleeding still, and then when they pierced his side, and all that remained poured out. There was not any blood left. And you would think that what Jesus endured on earth was enough, that his suffering was enough, that the pain he went through was enough, but it wasn't over. Because when Jesus gave up the ghost, he descended. Ephesians 4 says he descended to the lower parts of the earth. He went to hell. Not Abraham's bosom. He went into hell where Satan and every wicked and evil spirit was. Why? Because if he didn't go to hell, you would go. So he went to where the worm never died. He went to where the fires never quenched. He went to where demons torture people. And he was tortured. He was abused by those demonic spirits. Why? For you. Body crushed, spirit crushed. For you. But then... The Father on his throne, declaring that the cl claims of justice has been satisfied. 
declaring that you are once again my son. You read Hebrews chapter 1, chapter 2, and you see the actual words God said to raise Jesus from the dead. The Spirit of God energized Jesus' spirit, and he stood up in the pit of hell, and every demon was afraid. Satan himself began to tremble. And you see in Colossians chapter 2, it says he threw off principality and power. They had piled on him. But Jesus threw off in the ultimate show of victory. The King James said he made a triumph over them openly. Another translation says that he made a public display of them. Well, what do you mean? See, that Greek language points to what happens when a general was victorious over his enemies. After a general was victorious over his enemies, he would take all the surviving soldiers captive and take the enemy king captive, and he would lead a procession through his capital city. And near the front of the line would be all the spoils of war, all the triumphant soldiers marching in, and in behind them would be all the enemy soldiers and their king jailed. So what did Jesus do? In between his crucifixion and his resurrection and his ultimate victory through downtown eternity, through the spirit world, he showed every angel and every demon. He showed all heaven and hell that Satan and every demon is defeated forever. See, Christian, you have to understand you face a defeated foe who has been dethroned and Jesus took the keys of hell and death for, from him. He took that from Satan. And what else did he do? He took all your trespasses and nailed them to his cross, blotting out or erasing forever the handwriting of the ordinances that were against us, everything that was contrary to us, every commandment that you broke, every sin that you committed that was on a great list. Jesus took that list and nailed it to his cross so no one would see it ever again. This was his ultimate trial. The Genesis 3.15 crusher was crushed for us. The rose of our salvation was crushed for us. See, the thing is, when a rose is crushed, it's actually not the end of the rose. A lot of people, they see a crushed rose, fallen petals. They think it's over for the rose. But the thing is, when a rose is crushed, it can produce something. See, rose water and the attar of roses is created from crushed roses. And see, when a rose is crushed and it can form the water or form, perform this precious perfume, this essential oil, it creates this magnificent smell. It creates this wonderful fragrance. That Jesus, as the rose of our salvation, was crushed for us. But then you look at 2 Corinthians 2.14, talking about how we are the fragrance of Christ. So to every demon, we smell just like Jesus. And so when they smell you, they are terrified. 
Because that fragrance of the rose of our salvation, that fragrance of our salvation, the fragrance reminds them of everything Jesus did when he triumphed over them and every good thing that's available in our life. The fragrance of Christ represents not just Jesus' victory, but your victory. There's a song we sing, victory belongs to Jesus, and we should sing that. We should shout that. But if it belongs to Jesus, it belongs to you too, because Jesus was crushed that you might be whole. Jesus was crushed that you might be victorious. Jesus was crushed so that you might be healed. And now when you go into places, ain't just you go in there. The fragrance of Christ is upon you, because the rose of your salvation was crushed. To not just change your eternal destination, he also changed the world you smelled spiritually. Now you walk in a place like the Son of God. Because the Son of God paid the price for you. The Son of God took your place. And when you believed in him, he moved on the inside of you. And so now when you go on assignment, it's not just you. See, it's the attar of roses. That rose water has a fragrance with you. That you're going on holy business. When you walk in the room, there's the fragrance of Christ. That you haven't even said anything yet. You haven't decreed anything yet. You just showed up and people who follow the enemy start getting uncomfortable. Stop being mad that people don't like you when you walk in the room. They're like, what's wrong with them? They just can tell the Jesus who was in you, the Jesus who was on you. You don't smell like everybody else. There is a fragrance of the anointing that is upon you that guarantees you victory before you ever show up. See, you have to understand that your war is not against flesh and blood. There is a devil who hates you, but he's already defeated. And when you walk in with the fragrance of Christ, it reminds of, of his internal destruction. And so Paul also said, when Satan comes against you, don't back down, don't blink, don't look afraid. Because you refusing to fear reminds him that he will be destroyed forever. Just know what Jesus did for you changed everything. Your sins were washed away. Your spiritual state was forever changed. But the story of the blood does not even end in hell. The scarlet thread is not tied in hell. Even when Jesus raised from the dead in John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene sees Jesus and he says, hey, don't touch me then, King James. But actually it means don't hold on to me. Come on, you know, no, say don't touch me, didn't stop her. You know she grabbed him. She thought Jesus was dead. She thought they moved his body. She looks, Jesus is alive. She's holding on for dear life. Jesus said, hey, don't hold on to me. I have to ascend to my Father and your Father. I have to ascend to my God and your God. See, the thing is, sinners before couldn't claim God as their Father. They would say Satan is their Father, but Jesus says, I'll change now. I'm going to see my Father and your Father. I'm going to see my God and your God. So why was Jesus ascending up into heaven? You read through the book of Hebrews in chapter 9 that Jesus took his blood that he poured out and he took it into the throne room of God. He sprinkled it over everything in the throne room to redeem what Adam messed up. He presented his blood before the throne of God saying, this is the payment for the sin of every man, every woman, every child, past, present, and future. Here it is. 
And the thing is, it's still in heaven. So when you think God is looking at you to punish you, before God can see you, he has to look through that blood. God does not want to punish you because he punished Jesus for you. Before God ever looks at you, he comes through the eyes of the blood. Hebrews 10 talks about how the blood of Jesus made a way for us. See, when you come to God in prayer, you don't have to tiptoe in. It's like, oh, man, I messed up. Oh, man, does God want to see me today? You don't have to do any of that. Because the blood of Jesus made a way. Don't come by your own righteousness. Don't say, God, I did really good today. I read the Bible. You know, I think I read it like two times this week. I'm doing really good. Don't come to God by your own righteousness or by your own works. Come to him and say, hey, the blood of Jesus. Because the blood is all over that throne room. And it opened the door so you can come to the Father anytime you want. See, the thing is, we can fall out our face before our Heavenly Father, not because we're unworthy. The blood has made us worthy. It's an insult for you to say you're unworthy. Because the blood did such a good job, you are now worthy. We fall on our faces before God because we love Him and we adore Him. We want to worship Him. But the blood not only made a way for us to the throne of God, it reserved us a seat. Ephesians 1 and 2 says we're seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places, far above every principality and power. Why? Jesus threw them off. Fall apart every power of darkness. Why? Jesus threw them off. Now you have a reserved seat at the right hand of God because of the blood of Jesus. And at the right hand of God is where the scarlet thread is tied. Because Hebrews 12, 24, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You have a better covenant based on better promises because of that scarlet thread, because Jesus being crushed, because of the blood that was poured out. That's why we look at Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he redeem us? He was crushed for us. He shed his blood for us. He was made a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone that hangs on a tree. So that the blessing of Abraham, remember God said, I will bless you. I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you in you. Should everybody be blessed? That blessing that worked so well on Abraham when before he died, God had blessed him in everything. That blessing might come upon the Gentiles. Now it doesn't matter if you're physically the seed of Abraham or not. If you believe on Jesus, you are the seed of Abraham. And if you believe on Jesus, you'll be blessed just like Abraham. That's why one of the reasons he went to the cross. So Jesus washed away all of our sins and redeemed us from the curse, which is summarized as poverty, sickness, and premature death. Just like the blood caused destruction to pass over the Israelites and to avoid Rahab's house, the blood does the same for us. It is the shed blood of Jesus that washed away our sins. It was the blood that was shed as he was scourged that promised his healing. The blood gives you victory over Satan. It is the blood that saves. It is the blood that heals. It is the blood that delivers. It is the blood that preserves. It is the blood that gives us victory. It is because of the blood that we are covered with the fragrance of Christ a fragrance that fills our lives and terrifies all of hell. The blood of Christ redeemed us back to our God. That's why we can celebrate. That's why we can call this Good Friday. Because we know what the blood did for us. That's why we have reason to shout because of what the blood did for us. That's why the most conservative Christian can dance like the wildest Pentecostal because of what the blood did for us. 
Because of the blood, we have reason to celebrate forever. We have reason to praise God forever. We have reason to expect every day that something good is going to happen to me today because of the blood of Jesus. Every day we can expect a miracle because of the blood of Jesus. Every day we can expect to win because of the blood of Jesus. Every day we can expect to be more than a conqueror because of the blood of Jesus. It's not about did I do something right. It's that I believe in the one who did everything right. And he shed his blood for me. That's why we can sing that song. Well, what song, Pastor? I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, he died. On the cross, oh yeah, I know it was the blood for me. The blood came streaming down, the blood came streaming down, the blood came streaming down for me. Said a mumbling word, he never said a mumbling word for me. One day when I was lost, he died. One day when I was lost, he died. One Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see the thing? Because he got back up again and went to heaven, he's coming back again. He's coming back again. Some of us forgot about it, but he's coming back again. He's coming back again for me. One day 
coming back again. He's coming back again. Oh, he's coming back again for me. That's why we can say Happy Good Friday. Because of what the blood did for us. It's for everybody. Not just the good churchy looking people, everybody. The blood was shed for everybody. Every sinner, every saint, every Christian, every Buddhist, every Muslim, every Hinduist, every warlock, the blood was shed. It wasn't just shed for Christians, it was shed for everybody. And if you believe on Jesus and you believe on what he did, you get in on every good thing in heaven. So it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter all the bad things you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've sinned or what lifestyle you're in right now. All that matters is what will you believe? See, when you look at other religions, it's based on what they can do to try to reach God. Christianity is the only one where it's what, what can God do to reach you? What can God do for you? God is not asking what will you do for me? God says, here's what I did for you. Will you believe? See, the thing is, people think God sends people to hell for all these types of sins. They have this long laundry list of sins. Believe me, that's why God sends people to hell. God only sent one man to hell, and his name is Jesus. But people still go to hell every single day. Why? They don't believe on Jesus. That's the only thing that sends people to hell, rejecting Jesus. And not making a decision for him is the same as rejecting him. Thanks for watching the Faith Broadcast today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We'd love to hear from you. So if you're watching us, you can follow us on social media. Our social media handles on Twitter and Instagram is at WeAreFaithATL. You can also go to our website at FCCJ.com. Follow us on social media. Follow us on our YouTube channel. Contact us online. We'd love to hear from you. Have a wonderful day.